Uh, my name is Tyler Rowland. I'm the student pa- one of the student pastors here at Enbrook, so I get to hang out with the 7th through 12th graders. Uh, and so you might notice in the teaching and preaching that uh, I teach like a, I hang out with 7th and through 12th graders. Uh, so just... You've been warned. Uh, there we go. Uh, we're kicking off a new series. Uh, it's actually our Christmas series, and it's called Prepare Him Room. Prepare Him Room, taken from the song that we just sang, uh, Joy to the World. And the line in there that I love is, let every heart prepare him room. And that is our prayer. That is our hope for this series, is that as we look at, that we begin to look at uh, some of the lives of the beloved Christmas story characters, as we begin to look at their lives, that we would see how God began to prepare and to work in their life for the coming of Jesus. And in turn, our hope is that we can begin to take that and say, okay, how do we prepare our hearts? How can we begin to prepare our hearts to like be ready for God to move? Because God is on the move. God is doing amazing things. God is doing things in our church and in our, 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 our city and everything that's going on. And, and how do we begin to prepare our hearts for God to move? So would you pray with me as we dive into uh, the, the beginning of this series? God, I thank you so much. God, that you know us, that you love us, that you've called us into something greater than ourselves. God, I pray that these words would be your words, that they wouldn't be mine. Uh, as we kick off this series, uh, God, would you be at the center of it? Would you move? Holy Spirit, would you be in this place so that you would receive all the glory because you're worthy of it all? God, we pray this in your name. And all God's people said? Amen. And the devil said? Amen. There we go. I said, okay, I got to explain this now. So we pray, when we pray in youth group, we say, and all God's people said, and we say amen. And then we say, and the devil said, because whenever God's people pray, the devil goes, bummer, dude. Okay, there you go. All right. (sighs) Told you, I I told you I'm a youth pastor. Uh, so as I was prepping for this, this, uh, this sermon, one of, uh, one of my processes that I walk through, that I go through, is I talk out my main points with my wife. So, so we talk through and she's like, okay, tell me what you're teaching on, what are you thinking about? Uh, and so we just walk through it. And she's kind of my secret weapon when it comes to sermon writing. So if anything profound is said here today, it's actually because my wife said it. And I said, ooh, that's good. And I just wrote it down. Okay? Anything stupid said, totally on me. Okay? But that's, that's kind of the process. And uh, as we were talking just up through this, this series, uh, my wife brought up this Advent study that she's starting to do. Uh, and uh, it's the Advent study from She Reads Truth. Uh, and, it, and when I think about Advent, uh, Advent is not something we always necessarily talk about in our, uh, maybe our Baptist tradition. Maybe if you grew up Lutheran, Catholic, Covenant, maybe some of those more liturgical backgrounds, you might be a little bit more familiar with Advent. But today is actually the first day of Advent. The first day, the beginning of the four weeks leading up to Christmas, uh, and um, in this curriculum that we were, that my wife got, she was reading through it with it uh, with me a little bit, and she talked about this part where at the beginning, where it says that we today as Christians we are living between two advents. That we are living between two advents, meaning that advent is the idea of the word coming, right? It's it's waiting for the coming of a notable person. And so we're in between two advents because Jesus, the Messiah, came as a baby in Bethlehem. He came, he was born, they were, people were waiting for that advent, for the coming of Jesus. And, but now, because we have the benefit and the blessing to look back on the life of Jesus, but we're also living in anticipation, anticipatory, anticipation, wow, words are hard. We're living in anticipation of the second coming of Jesus, the second advent. And I want to read to you guys just a part uh, from this advent study that comes from the She Reads Truth Advent study. It says this, Advent 
comes from the Latin word meaning coming or arrival. As followers of Christ, we are people living between two advents. The coming of Jesus as a baby in Bethlehem and his future triumphant return as the king of kings. During the Advent season, believers remember that Jesus Christ came as the light of the world. We also remember the life Jesus was born to live, the salvation he brings, and the ongoing kingdom work that he invites us to join. Oftentimes when we think about Advent, we, we, we think about the, the coming of Jesus as the baby, right? As he's coming in, we think about that, and that is good. But I want to challenge us to really focus in on this last part and think about this, is that we're also living with this expectation of Jesus coming again. And as a church, we teach about the, we talk about the second coming of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is coming back. And we're stuck in, we're in this place between two Advents. But it's this last line that I don't want us to miss as we go into this Christmas season, as we go into like living in between these two Advents. It's this line, this last line. It says, and the ongoing kingdom work that he invites us to join. What are we preparing him room for? As we think about this series, prepare him room. What are we preparing him room for? As people in between two advents, what we're preparing our hearts for is for God to move. We're beginning to prepare our hearts to say, God, okay, you're doing something. You want to do something in our life, in our church, in our city, in our country, in our world. You want to do something. And so how do we begin to prepare our hearts for God to move? Because God is moving. And he wants us to join him in his kingdom work. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss what God is doing in our church. I don't want to miss what God is doing in our city. I don't want to miss what God is doing in our schools. I don't want to miss what God is doing. I, I, I don't want to not be prepared for when he moves. And so over the next four weeks... And, and into Christmas, we're going to be looking at some of these well-known characters in the Bible of the Christmas story and see how they prepared or how they were prepared for the coming of Jesus and in turn how we can begin to prepare our hearts for God to move. Because church, I want to be a part of what God is doing. I believe that we as a church want to be a part of what God is doing. And I think we can begin to prepare our hearts. And so with the time that we have left, I want to look at the life of Mary Mother of Jesus. We're moving into Christmas, so it makes sense that we look at Mary because she's kind of a central part of the Christmas story. And so I want to pull out really three big truths from the life of Mary and when God called Mary. I want to pull out three big truths that we can actually, I think, take and from Mary and we can apply it to our life as we prepare for God to move. Because Mary began preparing for God to move uh, when, when he appeared to her. And so uh, if you have your Bibles... If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It'll also be on the screen. If you have your uh, phones, I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It starts out and it's talking about Elizabeth. And if you know the Christmas story, Elizabeth is a relative of Mary who is pregnant with John the Baptist, uh, Jesus' relative, and so it says this in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of the king David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, 
Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Do not be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby, would be born, uh, the baby to be born would be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. So we set the scene. The lights come up, and the angel appears to Mary in a little town of Nazareth in the area of Galilee. And if you were a first century Jew, you probably, this would probably actually be one of the last places that you would ever expect God to send his angel or ever expect a king's family to come from. You would have expected it to come from the area of Judea or around Jerusalem or Bethlehem in that area. You would expect it coming from that where royalty came from. And you wouldn't expect a family to come from a place like Galilee. It just wasn't what happened. It was unexpected. Galilee was actually known, it was pretty predominantly known for giving into pagan worship. It was a place of immorality and corruption. So it wasn't really surprising when the disciple Nathaniel, when, when they were like, hey, this Jesus is the Messiah, he comes from Nazareth, and Nathaniel responds in John, John 1, verse 46, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's like they were so confused it just wasn't expected. That was not the way that you would think of it. It was illogical in the human mind why God would send his angel to Galilee. It was an unexpected place. And if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough, he sent the angel to go talk to a virgin who was pledged to be married and say, hey, you're going to have a kid. And she, she was going to have a son. And the Holy Spirit would come and it would overshadow you. And you know what? If I'm completely honest, I, when I was younger, I would read this passage and I would think to myself, why would Mary like, question God? How dare she question God? Do you ever do that when you read the Bible? You're like, you know the end of the story. And you're like, I would have known. But think about the unexpected way, right? A virgin, someone who, I, I don't know if I should say this. Uh, I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, sex equals babies. And so if you're a virgin, you're like, what? How does that, that is an unexpected thing. That's an unexpected way, in an unexpected place. And so I used to judge Mary and think like, well, why would she question God? But now I think about it like, no, this is, this is crazy. This is, this is so unexpected. It's so strange. It's so not the way things work, right? And she's like, okay, wait, hold up. Let me get this straight. I, I'm going to have a baby? And it was unexpected. Which brings us to the first key truth that I want to pull out, that I want us to think about, okay? It's this. God uses unexpected people in unexpected places in unexpected ways. God uses unexpected people in unexpected places in unexpected ways in consistent fashion with God. And consistently how he is. He continues to push people's understandings of how the world works. And he says, these, these rules, these ideas, all these things that you think you know, you think you understand, I don't operate always in that way because I'm God. 
Because God uses unexpected people in unexpected places in unexpected ways. Just when we think we have God figured out, he goes, watch this. And he moves. The fact that I'm standing up here preaching to you today or even the youth pastor here at this church was an unexpected thing. It was an unexpected thing in my life because if I'm 100% honest, I did not see this coming. I had served uh, in a church, so I, had, I actually interned here when I was uh, in college. Interned under Mark Thurston, uh, and I spent some time here. And, uh, uh, and then I ended up taking a job uh, at a church, and I served at that church for seven years, serving uh, there. And I had recently transitioned to a bigger church here in Minnesota, and I was pretty happy where I was. I was pretty content. I was pretty comfortable. Things were going well. I had, a, you know, I had, I understood how things were going. And I just recently had transitioned. So I had only been at this church for right around, I think, eight to nine months. And so it was still really new and really fresh. But my family, we came to the Harvest Fest here uh, a couple years ago. And uh, as we were there, we kind of mingling. We knew a lot of people because we had been here before. And Pastor Brent came up to me and was like, hey, I'd love to get coffee with you sometime. And I was thinking to myself, okay, like maybe he wants to just ask questions about the church that I was at. Maybe he just wanted to catch up and see how things were going there and everything like that. But then when I showed up at the coffee shop, it wasn't just Pastor Brent. Pastor Josh was there as well. I got double teamed. (laughs) And they said, hey, Tyler, we would really like you to consider applying and going through the process to maybe become our new youth pastor at Edinburgh. And I was like, I, nah, I don't think so. In my mind, I was like, no way. I didn't want to be the guy that was like at a church only for a little bit of time and then leave or, or whatever. And so I was like, ah, guys, I don't know. I really need to think about this. And they say, hey, hey, listen, pray about it. And I was like, okay, all right. And we ended up meeting again. And they're like, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, hey, listen, listen, pray about it. And so Laura and I, as we're praying about it, we're, we're sitting here just kind of going, like, God, is this what you have? This doesn't really make sense in our mind. We just started at this church, and we really kind of like it. We're in this small group, and, like, like, things are really good. And what God brought to my mind was something that I had forgotten. When I, my last Sunday here, uh, as attending here and as the intern, um, the church commissioned me. And maybe some of you guys were in this room, and you even remember this back in 2010. They commissioned me, and as we were walking out of these doors, I remember looking at Laura. We were engaged at the time, and I I said, man, someday I want to be the youth pastor here. And I forgot about it. I forgot that I even said that. And as I was praying and spending time going, okay, God, is this what you have for me? Like, what, what would it look like for me to say yes? He was like, hey, listen, this is me moving. This is me moving. Would you choose to be obedient, to step into that? And so as I think about this, and I think about this, and so much of these stories are all over the place of how God is moving in all these different ways. But one of the best ways that I think that we can prepare our hearts for when God moves is to expect the unexpected. Because God moves in unexpected ways, in unexpected places, with unexpected people. And I'm concerned that far too many of us are sitting in this room believing the lie that Satan spins that God cannot, will not, and does not want to use us. Satan is constantly lying at us saying, no, he can't use you. Maybe it's because you feel disqualified because of some sin in your life. Or maybe you feel unqualified. I don't know how to work with children. 
Maybe, maybe you're just simply distracted by everything else that's going on around you. I know that this is often true in my life, but I want to live with an expectation. I want to live a life that is prepared. I'm not saying that we won't be surprised by God when he shows up in unexpected ways. I think that's part of the beauty of our faith and part of the beauty of following Jesus is he shows up in unexpected ways. But I don't ever want to be surprised that he would show up in my life. Right? So oftentimes, we, we sit here and we operate in this place. We're like, I can't believe God showed up in my life. I want to live with an expectation that God will show up in my life. It's still going to surprise me, but I want to live with that expectation. Just say, God, I understand that you use this, a person like me. I understand that you want to use people in this, in this congregation, but I don't ever want to be surprised that he would show up because here's the deal. Please hear me when, you, when I say this. God wants to use you. He wants to use me. And he's inviting us into his kingdom work. We're in between two advents. But it doesn't mean that we're just sitting around waiting. We're active. We're moving. We're, we're working in God's kingdom. God wants to use you. This isn't just an invitation for the pastors here at this church or the super spiritual people who sit in the front and raise their hands and sing during worship. It's for all of us. For every single one of us, God wants to use you and he wants to use me. And he's looking at you and he's saying, prepare. Prepare him room. Because God moves in unexpected ways with unexpected people in unexpected places. And it might just be in your heart. Are you preparing him room? So how, okay? Maybe, Tyler, you're right. Maybe God is doing something in me. Maybe God is stirring. The Holy Spirit is giving me the bubbles. It's either indigestion or the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I can't tell the difference. Maybe God is moving. How do we begin to prepare our hearts? I want to look back at Mary. So Mary, Mary asks the clarifying question. She's like, uh, how? And the angel's like, hey, listen, okay, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The mighty God, mighty God is going to overshadow you. He's got this. And then it goes on in verse 36, it says this, what's more? The angel says, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren. But she's conceived a son and she is now in her sixth month. Verse 37, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. God's word never fails. God can be trusted. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, I know that there are some of us sitting in this room, because I've wrestled with this too, there's some of us sitting in this room going, yeah, but I, but I don't understand because I've prayed about this, or I, I wanted God to do this in my life, but he didn't always show up in my life, and I want to gently push back and lovingly push back and ask the question, whose kingdom are you living for? Because oftentimes we can get frustrated. We can sit here and go, God isn't listening to my prayers. He isn't doing what I want him to do. And I think oftentimes the danger that we run into is we make it about our kingdom. He's not inviting himself into building our kingdom. He's inviting us to be a part of his. And Mary's response is, I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. Which brings me to point number two. How do we prepare 
for God to move. We prepare for God to move when we surrender. When we surrender. Mary took this posture of surrender. She knew that she belonged to God and she responded in kind. Mary had God in the proper place of her life. Even though she grew up around corruption, even though she grew up around sin and immorality, Gabriel the angel describes her as the highly favored one. Mary in her life had already begun to prepare by practicing obedience. Mary was practicing obedience through surrender by saying, I am the Lord's servant. So while Mary was surprised in the unexpected way that God showed up in her life, Mary was surprised, right? It says she was confused and disturbed. Mary was surprised in the unexpected way that God showed up in her life, but she wasn't surprised by the unexpected call of obedience. She was not surprised by the call to obedience, Because God is always calling us to obedience. He's always calling us to righteousness. And Mary's response was, I am the Lord's servant. She was not surprised by the call to obedience. Why? Because she had God in her proper place. God was the leader of her life. And she responded, I am the Lord's servant. Just last week in youth group, I challenged the students with the question, who has the most important seat in your life? Who has the most important seat in your life? And what I mean by that is who has the throne of your heart? Who is in the most important seat in your life? Because if we're totally honest with ourselves, we all worship something. It's not a matter of do we worship something. It's a matter of what do we worship? And worship is exalting anything to the most important place in your life. We all worship something. Mary lived with God in the most important seat of her life. She surrendered her life to God. And we see this true in, in, the angel, in her response to the angel. I am the Lord's servant. And it could be so easy. It could be so easy to take the, mo- the seat, the most important seat in our life. It could be so easy and begin to put things in the seat that shouldn't be there. And I'm not saying that these things aren't like good things. But when we put them in the most important seat of our life, what it actually is, is it's becoming idolatry. And so maybe it's for you, it's work. I've shared with you guys this before. Oftentimes, this is one of my struggles, of finding my identity in what I do. And what we do is we take work, and we put it in the most important seat of our life. Maybe for some of you, it's money. If I just get enough money. I can be happy. I can, if I just get enough money, I can do things that will bring me joy. And we take money and we put it in the most important seat of our life. Maybe for some of us, it's relationships. We take and we say, man, if I just find that one person, then I'll be happy. And then we dedicate our lives to just seeking to do all we possibly can to fulfill. And we, our relationships become our focus of worship. And we take it and we put it in the most important seat of our life. All right, this one's a little controversial. Our kids. Listen, I love my kids. I want my kids to follow Jesus. But I don't want my kids sitting in the most important seat of my life. I want Jesus to be in the most important seat of my life so that they know where to put Jesus in their life. It's so important to have that proper place. But oftentimes we put our kids in the most important seat of our life. Maybe for some of us, it's schooling. 
It's about getting more knowledge, understanding more so that we can advance or we can, we can go on. These aren't bad things, but when this becomes the most important seat of, or sits in the most important seat of our life, it can distract us from seeing God move. Maybe it's our future of going, God, this is where I'm going. Bless me in it. Would you, would you bless me as I'm going this way, God? And when we get upset when God doesn't do things the way that we think he should do things. And we put our future in the most important seat of our life. Maybe it's our sexuality. What brings me pleasure? What brings me fulfillment? How I define myself beyond what God says. And we take it and we put it in the most important seat of our life. Maybe it's our image. Maybe it's us sitting here going, man, I can't be vulnerable. I can't be real because what would the person sitting next to me think? Yeah, sure, I yelled at my kids and threatened to leave them somewhere on the way here to church, but don't you dare say anything. We are that family. We are keeping up with the Joneses. And don't you dare say anything. Don't you dare be vulnerable. Don't you dare ask for prayer because, because we, we have to keep up that image. And we put the image in the most important seat of our life. Maybe it's just fill in the blank. I was thinking about this as I was going to bed last night, and one of the areas that I, I fill in the blank is sports. Sometimes I put sports in the most important seat of my life. When the Vikings lose, ruins my day. That's an idolatry problem right there. Packer fans, that's all I'm going to say. Like, but if I'm 100% honest, 100% honest, the greatest idol in my life the greatest, oftentimes, the thing that I put most often in the seat, the most important seat of my life is myself. I sit and I say, you know what? I'm actually the most important person in my life. And I put myself on the throne of my life. And I say, it's all about me. The only person that's going to take care of me is me. And so i got to look out for myself. And I begin to miss what God is doing because I've taken and I've put myself on the throne of my life. And can I be 100% honest with you? I don't know why I said that. It's not like I haven't been. In my life, when I've sat in this seat, I've felt like a fake I felt like an imposter. I felt like I was sitting where I didn't belong. Do you know why? Because I don't belong here. I don't belong in this seat. If you're sitting in your life and you're running around in the rat race of life and you're thinking about life and you're sitting here feeling like, why does it feel like, like I'm, I'm just not in the place where I have to be? Maybe it's because like I often do I put myself in the most important seat of my life and every single day I need to remind myself that this isn't my seat. These things don't belong here. This isn't my seat. This needs to be where God is. God needs to be in the most important seat in my life. I want to respond to God. I want to respond to God in the way that Mary did. God, I am your servant. I don't understand I'm a little confused. I'm a little disturbed. It doesn't seem like this is going to be easy. But you know what? I trust you. I trust you. Would you take the most important seat in my life? 
Would you sit in the seat that I don't belong to sit in there? Would you take that seat? I trust you. Maybe some of you in this room, maybe you, some of you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, the leader of your life. You've never said, I'm going to get out of this seat or I'm going to take these other things out of this seat and I'm going to allow God to sit in the most important chair of my life and you're caught up in the rat race of life and you're tired. I want to encourage you to give up. Not on life, but giving up on trying to like run your life from the first chair. To say, I want to encourage you to put God in the first chair of your life because it's his chair. And the quicker that we realize this, the quicker that I realize that this is God's chair, the quicker I actually begin to see God move. I could see God move when I remove myself from focusing just on myself and trying to advance myself. And I'm sitting in the place of maybe just taking and stealing and hoarding and making it all about me. When I back up and say, okay, God, you get the chair, what I begin to see is God moving. And I want to encourage us that if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, to say, Jesus, I want you to be the leader of my life, at the end of the service, we actually have people that come down to the front and they are, they are willing to pray with you. And if you have questions about what it means to make Jesus the leader of your life, to say, I give my life to you, to surrender, to become a Christian, I want to encourage you. Man, this is the place. Come down to the front and come talk to somebody. I'll be hanging out. You can talk to me. Like, talk to any of the pastors here. Talk to the person that invited you here. We want to talk to you about this because we have been invited into God's kingdom work. And this is God's kingdom work of saying, hey, you want to come with? Let's go. God is moving. He's moving in our world. He's moving in our church. And he is calling us as believers. He's calling you and me to join him in his kingdom work. We should not be surprised when God, that God can use anyone. God can use you. He can use me. And the way that we prepare our hearts for God to move is by putting God in the most important seat of our lives to say, I am your servant. And we enter into this posture of readiness. I want to live a life in a posture of readiness. I have a mentor in youth ministry. His name is Matt Swigert. And Matt Swigert has a saying that I have recently begun to use because I love it so much. Uh, but it's saying is this, and it's actually the third point of how we can begin to prepare our hearts for God to move, is this saying, Matt says, you already have my yes. You already have my yes. As we live our lives in this heart posture of readiness, what if our response to when God is moving is that it's, God, you already have my yes. You've already got my Yes. At the end of Mary's story, look at her response here. At the end of Luke 38, or 138. May everything that you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. As God is moving in our world, and he's transforming lives, and calling us to be a part of that, what if we responded like Mary? What if we responded, may it be true? God, I don't care what it is. I'm your servant. You already have my yes. You already have my yes. What if that was our posture? Talk about being ready for God to move. As we live between two advents, as we live between these two advents, I don't want to live a life just sitting around waiting for God to come back. I want to be actively waiting. 
Church, I believe God calls us to be actively waiting, to be ready for what God is doing, to be a part of what he, where he is moving. And that means that when God moves in our hearts and calls us to something, that we're ready, we say, yes, you already have my yes. So when God prompts us to serve, God, you already have my yes. When he prompts us to be generous, God, you already have my yes. When he puts a person on our mind to reach out to, to love, to pray for, God, you already have my yes. Just point me in the direction. When he calls us to go on a mission trip, God, you already have my yes. I was so encouraged by Chris Share, our communications director here, as she was sharing her story about her mission trip to Guatemala that she went on. She wasn't really sure why God was calling her on this trip. She just felt like, man, I feel like God is calling me here. And she responded with yes. You already have my yes. And do you know what happened? God blew her mind. When we are faithful, when we are, are surrendered, obedient, God blows our mind. God moves in ways that changes us. Chris is a different person because she said yes to Jesus. Because she allowed God to change her on this trip. And God made it crystal clear why she was on that trip. God made it crystal clear to her why she was on that trip. When God calls us to share our faith with someone, God, you already have my yes. When he calls us to invite someone to Christmas service, you already have my yes. And do you know what happens when we live a life in the posture of you already have my yes? We begin to see God move. We see the Holy Spirit working. When we, we're sitting in a ready posture, I love growing up, I read stories from uh, the Revolutionary War and there were these men called the Minutemen that at a moment's notice, they had to be ready to defend. They had to be ready to go to battle. The Minutemen, at a minute's notice, at a moment's notice, they had to be ready. I believe that that's what we're called to be as a church, to be posturing ourselves to say, God, you already have my yes. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm open to whatever it is because you already have my yes. And when we live in that place of the heart posture, of being ready, we're not wasting time trying to decide, oh, is it, I, don't, mm, I, I don't know. We're already saying yes. What if we were a church that says, Jesus, you already have my yes? What might God do with that in this Christmas season as we're living between two advents, as we're actively waiting for God? ready when he moves. We're surprised by the unexpected way that he moves, but we're not surprised by the fact that he does move. God wants to move. God wants to use you, and he wants to use me. When God moved, Mary responded in surrendered obedience. She said, yes, God, and we too can respond to God in this way. As we prepare for this Christmas season, as we prepare for the second advent, and God is calling you and me into his kingdom work. He's calling us. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. He's not calling us to be consumers in his kingdom. He's calling us to be contributors. We're not meant to be consumers here. I know that that's what we are in, the, in this world, in, in America, is consumers, but that's not what the church is for. We're meant to be, come in, 
to be transformed and then contribute, to come and join in what God is doing in his kingdom work as we prepare him room. Because the reality is, man, he is worthy. He is worthy of it all. So this Advent season, church, as we prepare our hearts, let's expect God to move. Let's obediently surrender. And let's give God our yes. God, you already have my yes. God, I pray that we would be a church that says you already have my yes. God, that when you're moving, we would see it. We would respond and we would say, God, I'm with you. You already have my yes. God, would you work in our hearts as we get ready for this Christmas season, as we get ready to celebrate your first coming. Would you help prepare our hearts to be ready for your second coming, that we're not sitting around just waiting for you to show up, but we are actively waiting, ready, joining you in your kingdom work. God, God, would you prepare us room? Let every heart prepare him room because you're worthy. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our surrender. You're worthy of our adoration and our focus and our, our, our giving everything that we have. You're worthy of it all, God. Because you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. God, help us to worship you in everything we do. Amen.